Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we are talking about the initiatives taken to boost gender equality on corporate boards and decision-making positions. Listen to our special guest explaining why diversity on decision-making positions is important and how did she become the businesswoman of the year back in 1999. We are also talking about the aftermath of the French elections, why were the Western leaders relieved by Macron's win, and what will be facing the French president when it comes to national politics. Women on boards and in decision-making positions is a topic that has been on the EU's agenda for more than a decade, with the Commission's President Ursula von der Leyen promising that she will personally push for gender equality on corporate boards. Why diversity? Why women on board? Because all research and economic studies show that companies that embrace diversity are more successful. And this is true in business, in politics, and in society as a whole. And still, too often, especially when looking at top positions, we hear men say that it is not possible to find women with the right profile. Well, if you are seriously looking for them, you will find them. If we look beyond boards, at the top leadership positions, Just 7% of the largest European companies are led by a woman. Boards are one thing. It is the knock-on effect that matters. As more diverse boards hire more diverse CEOs, who, in turn, hire more diverse managers, that's what counts. Legislation works. I will push, as president of the Commission, to ensure that our proposal on women on boards becomes European Union law. Now, this long-standing matter and debate has been set in the trilogue after the Commission set the requirement for companies that have a registered office in an EU country to aim to have 40% of their non-executive director positions held by women by 2027. Today, to touch upon this topic, I'm joined by the chair of the European Women on Boards, Edwige Nyans, and Euractiv's reporter, Sylvia Elena, who wrote on this story. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Edwige, before we start with the numbers and figures, I think it's inspirational uh, to see your personal path. You were elected Businesswoman of the Year in 1999, and I'm really intrigued to ask how did you make it to the top, especially during a time when it was a man's world. Absolutely, Avi, and I'm very happy to share my story. When I was born, I was not uh, supposed to be anything because my parents wanted a boy. So they were very disappointed to get a girl. And the only thing I was allowed to do was to study what I did very well. And so I managed to have lots of degrees. And then when I started my first job, I only knew one thing. It's how to work. But I knew nothing about corporates and uh, informal rules of the game. And so uh, I, I, the first years of my career, I worked hard and I did not get any promotion. And then after a while, I was, I was so desperate and seeing what are those men doing different that they work way less hard, but they managed to get a promotion. And that's where I learned that visibility is important. You're networking, who you know, who knows you, and just to understand how the system works. 
And since then, you have helped hundreds of women to reach their goals. How does that make you feel? And what's one advice that you never miss to share with them? I think that that came up when I was very little, as I had no role model at all. I had to do it on my own and all by myself. So it means that, um, yeah, I thought I had to learn it the hard way. So why not share this with others? And when I started to move to management positions, uh, that is something that came up very, uh, very frequently, that women were asking, can you learn from, uh, can we learn from you? What are you doing different? What is leadership seeing from your perspective? So for women, it's very important to be able to become a manager, but also to do it their own way and not uh, having a copycat of what is existing already. That does not work. And that is what I try to do when I mentor, or of course, with our organization as well. And now, Sylvia, coming to you and diving a bit into the problem, the number of women on boards uh, is low. It remains low. And after a decade of negotiations, there isn't much done. What do we know so far and where are these negotiations standing? Well, uh, the good news is that negotiations are finally ongoing. Um, the directive was first put forward uh, by the Commission back in 2012 uh, to try to correct the imbalance between men and women representation on corporate boards. Um, and after EU employment and social affairs ministers uh, finally agreed on a general approach in March, um, the European Parliament and the member states started negotiation, uh, negotiating on the proposal with the first trial dialogue held at the end of March. Uh, the deadlock was finally resolved uh, thanks to a renewed push on the file uh, by the Commission and the French Presidency, and also thanks to some countries, uh, Germany for instance, who shifted their position on the directive. Um, however, there are still quite a few countries uh, like Sweden, Hungary, Estonia, Poland, uh, who do not fully support EU-wide legislation on gender balance on boards. Edwidge, why do women still have to fight for gender equality at decision-making level? I think it's more nuanced than that. Uh, time, it's a golden age for women now because there is such a shortage of talent uh, that you see that increasingly companies are looking uh, to increase and to diversify their, their pipeline. So I would say uh, as uh, companies now flock to younger people, they also flock to female talent. So I would say... If women want, if women who have, have that uh, ambition or that openness to move forward, there are chances now, more than 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I started. So that's also the reason why with European Women on Boards, we, we have a very constructive approach, uh, setting up a talent pool, reaching out to women, reaching out to companies, because what we see, Avi, is that the... The, the challenges that we have currently as companies and that we will have tomorrow are challenges that we did not have before. It's about how to cope with COVID, how to cope with climate change, how to cope with diversification at worldwide level. And so you need all talent around the table and especially uh, female talent that, that have a longer term vision, that are much better at understanding the sustainability agenda. So companies uh, are changing rapidly. Mm -hmm. And Sylvia, what are the current numbers and how much have they changed during the previous years? 
Recent data shows that gender imbalance is still widespread when it comes to leadership positions across the EU. Uh, despite remarkable progress compared to 10 years ago, today only just over 30% of board members and 8.5% of board chairs in the EU are women. So far, only France has reached the directive's target of 40%, while the worst performing countries are Greece, Luxembourg uh, and Poland. Uh, on top of this, um, new data by the European Institute for Gender Equality shows that progress is stalling also in those countries with gender quota laws. And even if women representation on boards is slowly increasing, less than one in 10 of the largest listed companies in the EU have a woman uh, chair or a CEO. Trying to break down the proposal a little bit, what does it require and what does it mean for corporates and organizations? The directive calls for at least 40% of non-executive board seats uh, to be filled by the underrepresented sex, uh, which are women in the majority of cases, and this has to be achieved by 2027. Uh, alternatively, member states will need to make sure to reach a 33% uh, target, taking into consideration all board members. Um, moreover, uh, member states will also need to make sure that companies uh, give priority to the least represented sex uh, when choosing between equally qualified candidates. Um, it is important to note that the proposal would only apply to companies listed on stock exchanges and will not include SMEs. Edwish, uh, what is the aspiration of your organization, uh, European Women on Boards? So European Women on Boards, we focus on the decision-making level. That's also the level where the gap is still the biggest. So if you look at the CEOs in the European companies, only 7% are led by women. Whereas if you look at universities, it's 55% of the students that are, that are uh, young girls. So there is a big, big gap. It's a little bit better when you look at boards, and there you can see that whenever there is a target, either a target set by the company, either a target set by regulation, there are much more women. So on average in Europe, we have approximately 30% women on boards. If you look at executive committee, that drops to about 20%. CEOs, 7%, uh, chairs, approximately 8%. So still a big gap. And that's where we come in. And that's how we work together with the women themselves, with the European Commission, the countries and the companies to make change happen. Mm -hmm. And how has your initiative been perceived so far? Well, actually, European Women on Boards was uh, st started uh, more than 10 years ago when the European Parliament uh, agreed on the board directive to have gender balance in boards. And that initiative failed and was blocked uh, by the European Council for more than 10 years. So our organization has always been advocating to have that uh, policy um, happen and change. And we were very well received uh, last year when we started to act again and talk with each of the countries that was opposed. And we uh, managed, we contributed to have an unblocking uh, lifting of the veto at the level of the Council. And now we are in the last mile uh, working with the Parliament to uh, close the deal and to approve uh, the board directive. So in general, we are quite well received in that sense that we are constructive, working to solutions, working to compromise text and try to rally the opinions around the table. What can be expected by this initiative? How well uh, will it work, you think? 
we really hope it will be done and achieved uh, in the coming weeks. So what to expect? Uh, whenever this uh, directive is done, each of the EU countries will have to set legislation at its own level to make that directive a reality. So it will mean having a target uh, at the level of the country and then asking each company to set a target themselves. And I think that's a brilliant compromise. It's not about quota. It's not about saying you have to nominate this women or this women. No, it's about asking stock listed companies to be uh, their proposal, to set out their strategy, to put forward a, a, a policy document, and especially AVI, to make sure that the procedures, the processes, to find the board directors are as transparent as we can. As transparent because we want the best candidate. It's not just a woman. We want the best candidate. And very often that will be a woman, but not necessarily. So it's about finding the best candidate, being transparent, and also publishing the numbers on the company's website. And Sylvia, what other initiatives are taken? Um, most initiatives so far have been taken at national level. Uh, the majority of European countries already have schemes to address uh, this issue. Nine countries um, like uh, Spain, France and Italy have gender quota laws uh, for company boards, while others have recommendations um, in their corporate governance codes. Um, however, there are still nine member states without any framework or rule on this, uh, like Bulgaria, Croatia, Malta and Slovakia. Thank you, Edwige and Silvia. You're listening to your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. Now moving to another EU capital, Paris. We saw during the previous days Emmanuel Macron securing a second term on the presidency of France and his victory prompted a sigh of relief throughout Europe. Now, to find out more on how was his win perceived by the EU leaders and why was it so important, I spoke with Davide Basso, who reports directly from Paris for Euractive. Davide, what are the EU leaders saying? Uh, yeah, yes, you said it. Uh, there was um, a great relief uh, and, and they kind of shared this view uh, in the European among the European leaders. Um, actually, they were, I think they were worried about the potential of a hydrosceptic political force arriving at the head of a country like France, that is a, a huge France, uh, huge country in Europe. Uh, but above all, uh, I think they were taken by surprise, a uh, uh, kind of surprise uh, before the first round, uh, when actually everyone was thinking that Macron was going to be re-elected easily. Uh, and uh, actually the far right and the radical left wing parties uh, that are not very supportive of the European Union uh, totaled uh, almost half of the votes, about 45%. So I, I think there was a lot of surprise about this. Um, and also, um, uh, one of my 
colleagues who is a journalist uh, who knows well the European circles told me an anecdote uh, and he said that the, there is this ambassador in Paris from a central European country uh, who uh, received a lot of calls from his president, from his prime minister, from his foreign affairs minister, uh, asking uh, what's going on in France. Uh, and they were all worried and they didn't notice that uh, Macron wasn't about to be re-elected easily. And they, they, yes, the, his re-election was not certain, uh, uh, even if he now highly won um, uh, on, uh, on uh, Sunday. Um, and also there, there is another thing, is that all the other pro-European parties uh, in France has collapsed among 5%. Uh, so Macron was kind of the only one who was left in the game and the other ones were Eurosceptic. Mm -hmm. And what does it change for European politics? Um, the re-election of Macron, um, I, I'd say everything and nothing at the time. Uh, everything because uh, Macron will have uh, five years to continue uh, to, 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 go, to go on with uh, a stronger European integration that he wishes, uh, Europe of defense, uh, environment, environmental uh, protection. Uh, and uh, also it took him a long time to get uh, things moving. And uh, even if the COVID uh, was an accelerator, uh, but the EU uh, is seen uh, as a kind of uh, big liner, uh, and I actually think it is. So um, I think he will just try to go on what, with what he, he, he wanted to do uh, in the last years and he couldn't. Uh, but also, yes, nothing's going to really change also because it's the same person. So he is just going to continue what he started. Um, and uh, the, the, what, uh, what could uh, also change uh, is that even after the, uh, the, the French presidency of the, of the EU, uh, Macron will try to uh, establish maybe his legitimacy as a, a leader of the Europe as the leader of the Europe after Merkel's departure, the, the place is kind of empty, if I, if I may say, and uh, Macron uh, could uh, possibly fill that role, and I think uh, he wants to. Uh, but there is just one thing I'd like to add about this, is that uh, he has, however, to, to, to move uh, from words to, to, to act, uh, which is something, something that we... In, in France, uh, we uh, criticize him for this, um, and also to act as a European and not as a French leader, if it comes to that. And uh, so he, if he becomes the natural leader of the EU, he cannot defend only the French interests as the other heads of states and governments uh, do with their own countries, which is normal. Um, and uh, one, maybe one just last point, uh, I think there could be a problem uh, about this uh, a diplomatic, uh, on a diplomatic point of view, uh, especially with the UK uh, government, uh, as Macron and Johnson have really bad relationship. Mm -hmm. And the big question is, what will happen with Russia? The course has already been set by Macron before and during the election campaign. So his speech is aligned and coordinated with that of the European leaders, with uh, Michel, von der Leyen, Scholz, and so on, and they are standing together. Uh, so I would say that the attitude uh, um, 
of of Europe has today that that Europe has today will not uh, radically change, um, and this is maybe the the best thing could happen uh, about Russia. But there also could be. Uh, and this is a possibility, it's not something that is certain, uh, a kind of grain of sand slipping in uh, with the parliamentary elections that uh, will uh, that will t- take place uh, in June. Uh, and if Macron doesn't get a majority, uh, a, kind, a number of diplomatic priorities could be uh, reviewed uh, because of this new majority. Um, and... Uh, in the worst case, which is very unlike, unlikely, uh, if there is a far right or radical left uh, majority um, that have different positions than Macron on Russia and on Ukraine, uh, this could lead France on reversing some sanctions, for example, or the delivery of arms to Ukraine. Uh, so th- this could be a really huge problem. But I, I really want to insist on the fact that it's a possibility that it's very unlikely. So uh, I'm reassured about this. Now, although European leaders seem relieved by the outcome of the French elections, the headache when it comes to national issues is becoming stronger and stronger. Macron was not only assaulted a couple of days ago, but he has to take immediate action. What are the hot topics and how is the situation? Yes, it is something that it's difficult to understand, I think, for foreigners, as it's not like, you know... The American president uh, don't do this, like uh, going to see the people uh, very close and so on. But Macron is something that he likes to do, uh, and uh, and he he needs also to do this to to, to show that he's uh, his proximity with the people and so on. Uh, but indeed, there is a problem for the uh, following months and the following years is that there is the feeling among a part of the population that um, Macron was badly elected and he was badly elected as he was facing a far-right leader as Marine Le Pen. So people choose him not because they want his project, but because they didn't want Marine Le Pen's project. So the situation is kind of very tense in the country. Uh, as I said to many voters, uh, especially of the left, who are disappointed. And uh, he has to give kind of pledges in terms of ecology, social justice, uh, which he didn't really do uh, until now. Uh, Otherwise, there is really a risk of a new massive social movement uh, in the coming months, as the Yellow Vests uh, and so on. And actually, the Yellow Vests already said that they didn't uh, want Macron to be re-elected, so uh, they will... uh, do uh, social movements uh, in the in the following weeks and, and months. So we have to, 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 to be careful about what's going on uh, on this side. And I also think that uh, maybe the last thing, uh, given the way that the election went uh, with a, yes, kind of disappointment from a, a lot of people, a lot of abstention for France, uh, 28% of abstention, uh, it, it's really huge for for. Uh, a presidential election in France. Um, I think that there is something is really needed, and I'm, I'm not really sure Macron 
uh, really got it. It's that a profound institutional reform is necessary. Uh, the Fifth Republic is over and uh, people have the impression that they are not represented, uh, that the voting system uh, prevents the expression of a real choice by the voter, as I said, uh, who that the voter uh, sometimes feels to be forced to vote for one party only to block the other. And the, the, this is not something that can really work uh, on the long term. It, it can work one, one or two times, and it already worked in 2017 and now in 2022, but uh, I'm not sure it, it, will, it will last long. Well, thank you, Davide, and our time is up for this week. I am Evi Chiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, you can email us at podcasts at youractive.com to let us know what did you like from this episode and what topic would you like to hear more on. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news and find us on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.